I just can't do it anymore. I have nothing left. Between the divorce, the cancer, your mom dying and being laid off, I know it feels like you're going through a lot. <laughs> Believe me, I have been there. Just remember, when God closes a door, he opens a window. And never forget, God never gives you more than you can handle. God never said that. Well, good morning, LifePoint. It's great to see all of you here today. We are in part two of a four-part message a series that we're calling God Never Said That because, here's why we're doing that, there are a lot of myths out there that people believe the worst part is that we attribute those things as if God said those things, but he never said those things. And we're talking about why if we believe these things, it can be very destructive and harmful for our life and can lead to a lot of disillusionment and ultimately even walking away from our faith. And so we just want to tackle these things in a four-part series. Now last week, if you weren't here, we looked at the first myth. And the first myth was that God just wants you to be happy. And if you missed that, I would just really encourage you to go back and listen to the podcast and catch up and listen to why that is a myth, and it's not something God ever said. Now, we're going to look at myth number two today, but next week, I don't want you to miss it, because next week, we're going to look at this myth. It doesn't matter what you do as long as you don't hurt anyone. The problem with that is, and help me here, God never said that. Say that with me. God never said that. Yeah. And then the fourth week, the fourth myth that we're going to look at is it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you are sincere. The problem is, help me here, God never said that. And we've just got to look at it. But today, the one that we're going to look at is one that is so prevalent. I guarantee you've heard it. You've probably said it. You may even believe it. I've even heard well-meaning pastors teach this. The problem is God never said it. And we're going to look at why we sometimes believe it's true because there is one verse that can be broadened to say what it never intended to say. And here's today's myth that you hear all the time. God will never give you more than you can handle. And doesn't that just sound kind of good to say? I think the reason that we say it is one to help and one to be selfish, if I'm honest. I think we say that because we want to help people, encourage them, hang in there. And I think another reason, if we're honest, the reason we say that to people who are hurting is we kind of want to get out of a conversation and we feel a little awkward. And we just kind of want to have something to say. We don't know what to say. And so we say, well, God will never give you more than you can handle. And we kind of walk away not really knowing what to do or what to say. And this becomes a cliche. The problem is this cliche is a myth. And here's why that's so important. Because in a room with this many people, there is no doubt there are three kinds of people. Some of you are coming out of a storm or out of difficult season. Some of you are in the middle of a difficult season right now. And then some of us are headed toward a difficult season. I know that's not very encouraging, but we all know it's true. Doesn't it feel like there's always something, whether it's in our life or somebody that we know and love, there's always a difficult season just around the corner. And sometimes... What happens is, and maybe you're even there today, I don't know, maybe with you, it's a financial situation where you're thinking, oh God, just let me get one month where I can pay all the bills on time. 
or you're thinking, man, I just wish my job could be stable, and it feels like it's constantly unstable. There's always something going on, or, or a relationship that's blowing up, or maybe it's depression, or some kind of mental health situation that you're really battling with. And maybe the weight just keeps getting heavier and heavier in your life, and you just kind of keep thinking, I can't deal with this much longer. Then along comes a well-meaning Christian with some really annoying advice and says, oh, no, no, hang in there. God will never give you more than you can handle. And you just want to thump them on the nose, right? And say, would you go back to your fantasy land? Because I'm dealing in reality here, right? And, and then sometimes people will even say that, uh, the other, in the bumper video it said, hey, when God closes a door, he always opens a window. I don't even know what that means. Like, I'm thinking what I would like God to do if he's going to close a door is open another door. I don't know why we say a window. Like, I'm sneaking around or something. Like, what if I'm, what if I'm on the third floor of a building? A window's not real good. Or what if there's some rose bushes just outside the window? Like, I don't want to be sneaking in and out of a building. I'm not that athletic. I'd just soon have another door to go in and out of. But we say, hey, when he closes the door, he'll open a window. Good luck. Hope we're not on the third floor. But the one that's the most common is this one. God will never give you more than you can handle. Now, here's the question. Where did we get that? Where did that come from? And I want you to see in your Bibles today, and I really hope you got your Bible or you look along in the Bible with us because I think it's really important to see, and here's why. You say, Mark, why is this such a big deal? Look, can I just say real quick why I think this is so important? Because if you believe this, and then you become overwhelmed, like many of you are in a season right now where you feel overwhelmed, where you feel like life situation is more than you can handle, you will either believe that you are uniquely weak or God has forgotten you. The problem is, we've just believed a myth. You aren't uniquely weak, and God has not forgotten you. He just never made this promise. But he did say there are two things that we can count on, and we're going to look at those two today. I think it's a lot better to live in reality and the truth of God's words versus something like this that will leave us disillusioned when the inevitable trials do come your way. Now, having said all of that, what I do want to look at is the verse that causes us to think this myth is true. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. You can look in the pew. There's a Bible. You can look with me to page 929, but I hope you'll look at a Bible. And here's why. You're going to hear this phrase again. I wouldn't be surprised if you heard it again this week. Now, you don't have to be, like, arrogant to anybody and, you know, correct them on the spot or anything, but I would love it if you begin to think every time you hear that, is that really something God said? Is this advice I want to believe? Here's what, where we get this, this uh, myth, I believe, is from this verse. This is the Apostle Paul, who was one of the original followers of Jesus, one of his disciples, and he wrote to a group of Christians, and he gives them some really encouraging news. But it's very specific, and we've broadened its definition to include troubles and trials, and it was never intended to address troubles and trials. Here's what it does say. Paul said, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And he says, and I love this, God is faithful. This is a man who was constantly going through trials. He was shipwrecked. He was beaten. He was, he was uh, stoned with rocks at one point. He was left for dead. And yet he's able to say, God is faithful. He goes on to say, he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Doesn't that sound a little bit like God will not give you more than you can handle? 
except it didn't say that, right? But you are tempted. When you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Now, we're going to look at this verse again next week because it's real important. But here's all I want you to see. There is one area that this verse is addressing, and I want you to say it out loud with me. We've highlighted it in yellow. Say that word with me, temptation. This verse is not talking about trials. It's not talking about storms or difficulties or troubles that come into your life. This verse is not, you know what God did promise about trials? We talked about it last week in John 16, 33. In this world you will have troubles, but take heart, I have overcome in the world. In light of eternity, we can have hope. We will have trouble. Now this verse, though, is talking about temptation, that in the end, you will not be tempted beyond what you can bear. And somewhere along the way, we took what was meant to talk specifically about temptation, and we said, you know what, let's broaden that and say, well, he would just not give anything more than we can handle. But God never said that. And when we attribute that to him, and when we believe that myth, it leads to great disillusionment in our strength and in God's faithfulness to our life. But if I were you, I'd like to write my Bible. I would circle the word temptation, and I would write in the sidelines that, God, this doesn't apply to trials. This verse doesn't apply to, to tribulations. This verse does not apply to the difficulties of life. It is specific to temptation. And so when someone takes this verse and broadens its meaning, that's when we begin to struggle. Instead, here's what Scripture does say. Scripture does not say that God will not give you more than you can handle. But what Scripture does say, Scripture does say that God will not tempt you beyond what you can bear. Big difference, right? One's really broad, one's really specific. So then we got to come back to the question, well, then why? Because it's kind of nice to think that he wouldn't give me more than I can handle. Why would God give me more than I can handle? What is the reasoning behind God giving me this kind of a struggle? What we know is if we're going to be faithful to what the Scripture teaches, over and over there was person after person, story after story of person who struggles with having more than they can handle. You think about David in the Old Testament. He's a king of Israel during its heyday, like 1000 B.C. And this is a man who God said was after his heart. That's how much he was following God. And yet David is the one in Psalm 38, 4, look what he said. David is the one that said, my guilt has, say this word with me, overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. I can't do this. It's more than I can handle, David said. And then Jesus in the New Testament, as he's approaching the cross, Scripture says he was deeply troubled and distressed. And then in Mark chapter 14, look what Jesus himself said. Jesus said, my soul is, say this with me, overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Jesus himself says, this is more than I can handle. And he goes to his father and he begins to pour out his heart. Because God never promised that he wouldn't allow us to go through more than we can handle. So then we come back to our question, why? Why would God allow us to have more than we can handle? And I want to suggest two reasons that we see in Scripture. And many of you are there right now. Some of you have been there, and many of us are going to be there. And we need to cling to these two promises that he does give us when we have 
more than we can handle. Why would God give us more than we can handle? Number one, he gives us more than we can handle because he wants us to depend on him, but specifically on his presence. He's Emmanuel, he is with us. If you're in the storm right now, he wants you to know this. You are not alone. And there is something innate in all of us that when we're going through the trial, we tend to pray and we tend to talk to him more and depend on him more. And did you realize that isn't you being spiritual, that's you being normal. That's the most normal response to a trial is to drop to your knees. Have you noticed that when the trials increase, your prayers increase? Have you noticed when life gets harder, I pray more? We all do that. It's the most normal reaction in the world. It's not like a God, you know, like a spiritual thing. I think it's a God placed in our heart thing that we realize we need Him. And trials tend to reveal that. Just to illustrate that, it was just a couple of weeks ago, uh, my son and I were at a, a, Lincoln and I were at a, a baseball game up in Boston. We were going to Fenway Park to watch the Red Sox play. And there was a guy sitting beside us who was born and raised in Boston. And I was just kind of having a conversation with him. And then he asked the question I always dread. What do you do for a living? And the, the, the conversation always gets really weird at that point. People either just kind of like don't want to talk to me anymore or they suddenly, their language cleans up and they start talking, you know, differently. They quote a verse or two they remember. And so this guy instead goes, he, I, I, he goes, what do you do for a living? I said, well, I'm a pastor. And he goes, you're what? I said, I'm a pastor. He goes, the religious kind? Look. Yes. He goes, oh, well, we're all atheists up here. As if he's like the mayor of Boston now. He's speaking on behalf of the people. And he goes, our God is sports. I said, okay, well, good to know. And we kept talking, and we're enjoying the game, and everybody's just having a good time, right? We're eating a hot dog. We're just kind of taking in the game, having a good conversation. And then the game goes and goes, and it starts getting later in the innings, later in the game, and all of a sudden, what happens is we go from kind of being casual to getting a little more focused on the game. And all of a sudden, I notice because the score is tied that people, including him, have moved to the edge of their seat because now it starts to feel like a little bit more like the game is on the line. And there's a tension in the air. And all of a sudden, a Red Sox player hits a two-run homer, and the place goes nuts, right? All of a sudden, everybody's like this long, lengthy celebration. Fireworks are going off. People are screaming, giving strangers high fives, smiles all the way around. Everybody's in a good mood. And it finally calms down, and I lean back over to this guy, and I said, if your God is sports, did I just experience a moment of worship? And he said, yeah, you did. He laughed. He goes, yeah, you did. And then he leaned over quietly and confessed. I actually caught myself saying a little prayer right before that at bat. And I wanted to say, well, my God's happy to do your God a favor anytime. <laughs> but instead, what I realize is true of him is true of me. When the tension increases, I'm going to praying, right? It's not, it's a, even the atheists know this, right? It's what we do. When life gets hard, we start praying. Whenever the trials increase, our prayers increase. It's the way it's always been. If you go back to the Old Testament, you'll see a man named Jonah. Jonah's a guy who was told by God to go and preach to the Ninevites, the people he despised, and he goes, oh, no, I'm not going, God. No way, no how. Not going to do it. Out of an odd series of events, though, Jonah finds himself being thrown off of a boat into the water and swallowed up by a fish. 
And I'm going to tell you, when you're swallowed up by a fish, you'll start praying. Because we see and pick up the story in Jonah chapter 2, verse 2. I want you to see this. Jonah says, in my, say this word with me, distress, I called to the Lord. We're no longer eating hot dogs early in the game. This is late in the game. I'm, you know, I'm going to need you here, God. And he answered me. Now notice what Jonah didn't say. He didn't say, in my success, I called to the Lord. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I find, I don't know about you, but we tend to disregard God in our success, but we are desperate in distress. And God allows, I think, sometimes for us to go into a valley just to depend on a God who is with us. Jonah said, even here, he remembered me. He was with him. Even in the trial. Now, sometimes, let's be real honest, it doesn't mean that you feel his presence. And some of you may be in a trial right now, and you look around, and you're like, man, I don't feel him. I've been praying, and I don't know what's going on. And I love that God is honest enough with us to say, I have never promised that you would feel my presence, but I have promised my presence. And sometimes faith is walking through a trial, believing that and knowing that he is with me, even when I don't feel his presence. Now, going on five verses later in Jonah chapter 2, verse 7, Jonah continues and he says, Now, when my life was ebbing away, now that's a trial, right? That's big time stress. I remembered you, Lord. In other words, on the mountaintop, I had forgotten you, but down here, I remembered you. Why? Because when life gets hard, our prayers become increased. And then he says, And my prayer rose to you, so he's depending on the presence of God, to your holy temple now to be fair when Jonah's prayer was answered it meant that he was vomited up on a beach okay it was kind of messy and sometimes I think I feel maybe you do that if God's going to answer my prayer then life's just going to get a lot easier and cleaner and better immediately and sometimes his answered prayers look a little different than I envisioned and I think Jonah is about to experience that even there. But here's what I know, especially because of this myth. When I enter a storm, the very first reaction I have, and I know you're the exact same way, the very first reaction I have when I'm in the middle of a storm, when a relationship breaks up, when all of a sudden things at work go sour, or all of a sudden finances are upside down, there's a health report by me or somebody that I really love, and all of a sudden there's this tension and brokenness in my life, my very first reaction is, God, why are you allowing this to happen? If you were with me, this wouldn't be happening. If you were good, this wouldn't be happening. If you were powerful, this wouldn't be happening. My first reaction is to question God. Why? Because of the presence of a storm, especially a big storm, my first reaction is to question him. And I just want to give you some really good advice to anchor on to this truth because I think all the people throughout history of Christendom, certainly throughout the history of Scripture, would remind us of this truth. If you've lived any long uh, life following Jesus, you know that this is true. Never let the presence of a big storm cause you to doubt the presence of a bigger God. Storms are a real thing. God never promised he wouldn't allow them. In fact, he promised them, you will have trouble. And the presence of that storm is not an absence of God. In fact, he promises in Psalm 34, 18, he says, I am nearest to the brokenhearted and crushed in spirit. His presence is there, felt or not, it is 
promised. And this valley is an opportunity for me to depend on him more. I remember back in 2011, Ginger and I, we had, my wife and I, we had, we'd had a shared dream that completely collapsed. And all of a sudden, it wasn't like, oh, it was kind of diminished or it was delayed, but it was like permanently dead, gone, done. And as we're absorbing that, we just felt so uh, overwhelmed. We, we, we felt so desperate. As Jonah said, we felt so much distress. And I'll never forget walking into our bedroom one day, and Ginger was sitting on the side of the bed crying. And not the kind of cry like end of a sad movie, end of notebook kind of cry. This is the kind of cry where you feel it deep within, where you're disillusioned and you're angry. And I knew she felt that way because it was exactly how I felt. The storm was just so overwhelming in our life where we had no one but God. And looking back, one of the things that we've learned is that when you're at that place, you learn to depend on the presence of God, not despite the storm, but because of the storm. And our faith grew because we had more than we can handle. We learned to depend on his presence more than ever before. And looking back, now we see what, some of what God was doing. And our faith in him has grown a little bit more because of that experience. And I just want to tell you, I know you can grow your faith on the mountaintop. I know you can grow your faith in seasons of success. But from experience, and you know this too, you are more fully and deeply connected to him in the valley. You are desperate for him. You're in distress. And that's where our faith tends to grow. Now, you know this. We are most aware of the need for God in the valley. That's why David said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, why do I fear no evil? Because you are with me. I depend on your presence. So why in the world would God give us more than we can handle? Because some of you are there today. Number one, because he wants us to depend on his presence, that he is with us, and we won't learn to be desperate to trust that until we're in the valley. But number two, and this is so important, he also wants you to experience his power. His power. And look, look. I know we live in 21st century, 2022 thinking where we're like, you know what, I'm strong, I can do this, I'm going to do me, you do you, but when I do me, I'm telling you, I will try harder, I will do more, I'll pull myself up by the bootstraps and I can do this. You're strong enough, you go, you can do this. You got it within you. There's no doubt that you can fix what's going on at work. You can fix what's going on in the relationship. You can fix what's going on in your finances. You just got to try harder. I believe in you, you can do this. Because we believe the myth that God would not give you more than you can handle. But the truth is, you do not have within you, I do not have within me, enough power to handle all that life is going to throw at me. And neither do you. See, it turns out, we keep trying to be Atlas. You know, remember Atlas, the Greek mythology, who was the one who was a titan, who was condemned to carry the weight of the heavens, the celestial heavens for all of eternity? He's got those big muscles and very impressive, and we go, yeah, I want to be like Atlas. I can handle it. I can do that. There's a famous statue in New York, and when we were there, we were walking around, and you see this picture of Atlas who's so strong and so impressive. Looks kind of like Hal Deutsch right there. Now that I look back at Hal, I'm like, Hal, you could, you could handle this. You see in the background, you see the Rockefeller Center, and you see 
all the impressiveness behind that, you know, where they do the annual Christmas tree lighting, the NBC studios, you think, yeah, that's just so much success. And we look at that, and there's something in us that kind of rises up that I want to be like that. And we try to replicate that. And some of you probably feel that. You feel the weight of what you're carrying. And you walk around thinking, I can do this. I just got to hang in there. And, 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 if, and if God would just help me out a little bit, if he would just remove this thing in my life, if he would just fix my children in this one area, if he would just fix my marriage in this one area, if he would let me be married, if he could just handle this one thing, then, then I would be able to do this. And did you know that it's not just you and me? The Apostle Paul, early in his ministry, felt the exact same way. He called it a thorn in the flesh, and he kept asking God to remove it. You say, well, what was his thorn in the flesh? Well, we don't know. Scholars have debated that for centuries, and we've never really known. What we do know is Paul kept asking God, please take it away. And yet... God's response to Paul, I believe, is his response to those of us who are begging him to fix something in our life that continues to go unfixed. Look what God said to Paul in response. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, in verse 9. But he said, Paul is saying, God said to me, my grace, God said, is sufficient for you. For it is not Paul's power, God's power that is made perfect in Paul's weakness. Think about that. Your weakness plus God's power magnifies his grace. So if you never got more than you could handle, you would never magnify God's grace. Paul then responds to this truth, and look what he said. Well then, if that's true, I'm going to brag and boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. I'm not going to be Atlas anymore. I'm going to be the opposite of Atlas. I'm surrendering everything to God. Why? So that Christ's power may rest on me. My weakness plus God's power magnifies God's grace. Therefore, I must have more than I can handle in order to experience God's power. And you may think, this is just crazy, because we go back to this picture of Atlas, and we look at this guy, and it's still so impressive, and we think, I still kind of want that. There's something in me that wants to be able to hold these things up. And we look at the background, and we think, that's just sort of this unattainable success that many of us are chasing and trying to hold up and trying to measure up. What happened there that day, though, as we walked around this, is I walked behind the statue, and I'll explain it in just a second. What you can't see is across the street, Instead of the Rockefeller Center is the St. Patrick's Cathedral, which is a beautiful old sacred building that's, that was built in the 1860s, before, during, and after the Civil War. And here we see in the background this beautiful image of success. But if you walk, I'm telling you, my jaw dropped when I saw this. Because what we're about to see, I believe, is a picture of 2 Corinthians 12.9. When you walk behind Atlas, watch what you see. My daughter took this picture, Reagan. Muscles and in the center of the world, you see the cross. Not just any cross, but an empty cross. The center of this world that we're trying to carry, the weight we're trying to bear. My weakness plus his power reveals his grace. And all of a sudden, it dawned on me. This is a beautiful picture of 2 Corinthians 12, 9. You go, Mark, God will never give you more than you can handle. And if you believe that, you're going to keep carrying this weight. 
You're going to keep trying to carry a weight you were never intended to carry. You know why? Because you're not Atlas. He's not real anyway. He's a myth. And so is this wisdom that we keep repeating. God will never give you more than you can handle. Instead, he invites us to bring it to him because of what he's done on the cross for us. He's revealed his love toward us, and there his power is demonstrated and his grace is magnified. Not in my strength, but in my weakness. His grace is amplified. So at the end of the day, how does this work? God will give you more than you can handle so that you will depend on him more. And some of you are there right now, and you're battling something in your life, and I just want to remind you that when you get to that place, when you have in your life more than you can handle, you now have a decision to make. Do I trust the myth, or do I trust the master who was with me and more than enough for what I carry today? If you're going to be here today and you're single and you're going to honor God in this season of your life, it's going to be more than you can handle. If you're going to be a foster parent or an adoptive parent, you're going to experience more than you can handle. If you're going to be married, it's going to be more than you can handle. If you're going to raise a teenager, it's going to be more than you can handle. If you're going to try and do something for God and take steps of faith, it's going to be more than you can handle. Some of you are here right now and you're going through a really difficult season and you're in the middle of this storm and you know exactly where Paul carries this weight. I just want to encourage you. In fact, today I just want to pray for you. You weren't intended to carry this alone. God not only wants to step into your life and walk with you and show his power through you, but we want to walk through this with you as well. So here's what I want to do. In a minute, I'm going to ask you to do something really courageous. If you or someone you know, someone you love, is going through a storm, is going through a trial, is wondering, I don't think I can hold on to this any longer. If that's you or someone you love, in a minute I'm going to ask you to stand. And here's why. I just want to pray for you. I don't want you to carry this alone. And I just want to lift you up in prayer this morning. So right now, if you or someone you love is carrying that kind of weight, would you let me pray for you? And right now, would you just stand and let me pray for you this morning? I know that's many in this room. Wow. Well, then let's do this. If you're seated beside someone who's standing, then you're seated beside someone carrying a storm, carrying a weight. Would you stand with them so they know they're not alone? Maybe you'd put your hand on their shoulder. But I just want to pray for them, and I want to invite you to pray with them as well. God is with you, and so are we. Let me just pray for you this morning. Father, this morning, it just hurts to look around a room with this many people standing in pain, in a trial, in a storm. 
God, thank you so much that you care. You know the very details of their pain and their hurt, and you are with them. You are for us. God, I pray for those who are here this morning that are in a valley, that they would just trust that you are with them. They would know it. God, build our faith today and help us see that we can trust you in our weakness and your power will be known. God, I pray for those who are struggling in their health or someone that they love. God, let them know that you're with them. I pray for the single mom who just feels like she cannot go on, that you would give her power. For the marriage that's just hanging on by a thread, God, give them faith to continue. For the persons who are struggling to just to maintain hope, God, would you give them strength? God, even though we have more than we can handle, help us to trust you, to depend on you like never before. Lord, may we surrender and open our hands and bow before you. I want us to keep praying, and I, I can't help but think of the people in the room who may be here, and you're kind of like David who said that his guilt was more than he could handle. His sin was more than he could bear. And maybe you're there and you feel like Atlas in that pick where you're holding your past and your sin is so heavy. I just want to tell you that is why God's love is such good news. It's why he sent his son Jesus to that cross to become the perfect sacrifice, to die for you and to rise for you. And now you can call on his name and once and for all finally surrender to him. No matter what you've done, no matter how much sin, no matter how much you've messed up, you can be rescued by the love of the Savior. Your weight is more than you can handle and you need a Savior. So I want to invite you to repeat a prayer after me and once and for all surrender your life to this Jesus. And quit trying to carry what you were never intended to carry. Would you just, in the quietness of this moment, with all the eyes closed, would you just pray this prayer after me? Jesus, would you save me? Make me a new creation. I surrender to you today. Thank you for forgiving me of my sins. I need your grace. I give you my life. And I surrender to you as my Savior and Lord today. In Jesus' name, amen. Now with eyes closed, if you'll keep your eyes closed for just one more second, I just want to ask you, if you prayed that prayer, I personally want to remember to pray for you. So in the privacy of this moment, if you prayed that prayer to surrender your life to Jesus, would you just raise your hand right now where you are so that I can see you and I can pray for you? Yeah, amen. Who else? Amen. Who else? Yes. Yes. Many of you. Amen. Okay. You can, you can open your eyes. I just got to say, if we can celebrate at a baseball game for a home run, when people come into the family of God, can we welcome them and celebrate what he has done in their life today? Amen. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want everybody to do this. Just play along and go, man, what is he asking us to do? That's okay. You can think that, but do it anyway. Would you pull out your phone? Some of you, you don't have to go very far. You've had it in your hand the whole time, and that's fine. 
Some of you need to go to your purse. Some of you need to go to your back pocket. I just want to ask you to do this. It may not be for you. It may be for the person who's beside you. But would you pull out your phone and would you click on that QR code? It may be on the front of the pew there behind you or, or there on the screen. And here's what I want you to do. We want to hear from two different people. People who are in the middle of a valley right now, and many of you have demonstrated that you are, would you click on the prayer request and let us know so we can pray for you? You aren't needing to carry this alone. Let us pray with you on this. Secondly, for those of you who decided to surrender your life to Jesus, would you let us know that? That's the second option. We just want to mail you stuff. We're not showing up, but we want to mail you stuff on how you can take steps in your life with Jesus. But would you take a minute and just fill that out, click either one or two, and let us know so that we can respond to you. Okay, after we close today, we have a memory verse that we're going through this series. For those who want to take it to the next level and memorize this verse, I want to invite you to memorize this verse with me because as we go through, God never said that. The reason we're going through this series is so that we cling to what he did say. So I want to say it once, and I want to ask you to say it out loud with me. And then we're going to sing one more song together. It's found in John chapter 8, verse 31 through 32. Jesus said, if, this is so fascinating that he would say if, but he begins with if, you hold on to my teaching. You are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. John 8, 31 through 32. We're going to put it on the screen. I want to ask you to say it out loud with me. Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free, John 8, 31 through 32. Let's just all admit this. None of us are Atlas. God will let us go through more than we can handle. And here's what it reveals. We need 